I think a lot of ideas of what an athlete is and what they're capable of in terms of age is based on other events because with say shot put, discus, javelin, it relies a lot on the technique and your strength unless you've been severely injured, sort of maintains well into your 40s. Always encouraged older juniors to put something back in by uh, coaching the younger ones. Where necessary we'll give them something towards it. It keeps them involved. I've won the Commonwealth Games, I've been a team coach and I've been involved in my sport for such a long time. To get this opportunity is just immense, especially at home games. Hello, that's the voice of Kelly Southerton in that last clip. She's recently been announced as Team England's track and field team leader for the 2022 Commonwealth Games. My name's Alex Seftel, let me take you through what else is coming up in this podcast. Well, he started off as a kickboxer, now at the age of 37. Gavin Johnson Asun is the reigning England javelin champion. A fascinating chat on the way with him, he says he feels as powerful as ever. Our featured club this month is Stratford-upon-Avon. Also, you'll hear a whistle-stop tour outlining some of the resources available from England Athletics to support you to stay active and to continue training at this time. But first, delighted to be kicking off the show with three-time Olympic medalist Kelly Southerton. As she looks ahead to Birmingham in two years' time, where better to start by recapping her memories of winning the Commonwealth Heptathlon in Melbourne in 2006? God, it seems such a long time ago, 2006. It was in a really tough time of the year. It was in March. I had to miss the world indoors in Moscow that year, which I most likely would have won. And so I had to weigh up whether I chose to be world indoor champion and win a lot of money or go and win the Commonwealth Games. And for me, I'm just about the medal and I really want to be Commonwealth champion because of all my predecessors before me. Winning that was just something that it meant a lot. It wasn't an easy competition. I was number one going into it. There was probably a lot of pressure. I had a slight injury to, by the end, I was more like a, <laughs> you'll probably won't forgive me for saying this, more like a Dean Macy at the end. I had a fractured spine, a torn calf. Um, I was on a right wreck. And then the emergence of Jess, uh, Jessica Ennis Hill, there was a lot of pressure and it was harder. But what it, it told me is that, because I was favourite, I won. And that pressure isn't easy, but it was something that I really enjoyed. And, and my Commonwealth Games medal, actually, gold medal, has actually a story because it actually got stolen in a robbery in 2014. And actually, I, I appeared on Crime Watch, <laughs> rightly, to appeal for it. And I got it back because it's found in a post box a mile from my house. So it was a great experience to run in the MCG as well, obviously, where it's synonymous for cricket was you know immense so um, it was a fantastic stadium it was a great time Melbourne really became one of my favorite cities of the world that I've been to so it holds um, a lot of really favorable and good memories and it was great that you got that that medal back I remember that that story <laughs> looking ahead to to Birmingham in 2022 you're someone that spent a lot of time living in Birmingham and it'd be great for the city as a whole generally won't it yeah, you know, it's a massive honour for me. I've been in Birmingham for, um, since 1998, so be, it's 22 years now. And been able to have been able to apply my trade at the Alexander Stadium, become an Olympic medalist, win the Commonwealth Games, and now I'm leading our Commonwealth Games team in 22 in my home city, where it all started for me. It's just a massive honour. And for the city, the city loves athletics. It actually embraces every sport that comes here. It's a world-class sport in city. Everyone knows it. it's a great place to come and compete. I think everyone's excited about the rejuvenation of the stadium. It was a great stadium before because it held a lot of historic memories. Those memories are still there, but with it, it's going to create new memories, and that's the exciting part. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of kind of hard work leading into it with the city changing, the infrastructure changing, but afterwards their legacies will be great. It just confirms that Birmingham is a world-class city, not just for sport, but for support of every event that goes on in the city. Yeah, and what would you say to young athletes? I know you're involved in coaching and mentoring now. Young athletes that are maybe looking to Birmingham in 2022 as a target now. What would your advice be to them? Obviously, 2020 is kind of a write-off for, for many sports, obviously including athletics. 
But the good thing is there's so much more to focus on after this season. The Olympics in 21 and lots of events going in 2022 with world, European champs and obviously most importantly Commonwealth Games in England. I think it's just knowing where you are from last season, maintaining some really good fitness this year, you know, the likelihood of being able to be competitive, I mean, we've got fingers crossed everywhere that there's some kind of competitive season towards the end, but, you know, that's looking more doubtful probably. It's just, you know, keeping fresh physically and most importantly mentally. When you look at the positives from this year, it's for some people, they train really hard anyway, so keeping nice and fresh this year, not competing, so you'll be raring and fresh to go, and especially young athletes wanting to go and do an indoor season uh, next season, which is probably a really good thing, because when you don't compete for a long time, it's quite hard to get keep competitive in your event, so I imagine next winter will be really, really, really competitive for a lot of people from every age group. For young athletes wanting to go to the Commonwealth Games, whether it's 22 or 26 or 30, and ultimately of the Olympic Games, it's just to focus on just each year, what do you want to achieve by the end of the year, listen to your coach, be smart with your training, more doesn't mean that you're going to get better. But also, alongside doing your sport, is what else makes you happy in your life? Is it education? Is it going to work? Is it finding a new skill? Everything else that's good in your life helps you to be a better athlete. Have something else in your life actually can take your mind off it. It can keep you refreshed and keep you stimulated. You know, I'm really, really looking forward to leading the team in 22. Obviously, a massive honour to be chosen ahead of so many great people who interviewed for the role. I've been a spectator, I've been a competitor, I've won the Commonwealth Games, I've been a team coach and I've been involved in my sport for such a long time. To get this opportunity is just immense, especially at home games. I live five minutes from the track where it's going to happen. It's on my doorstep. I'm involved in other sports as well, rugby and cricket, so but athletics is my passion and I do anything for my sport to make it successful. So for me, this is the ultimate job. And actually, it's probably my first couple of jobs I've had. <laughs> uh, it's never happened before where it's you've announced the team needed this early on. That's because from the Health Free Sport England and Commonwealth Games England, they, they want the team to be successful. Yes, there's challenges with the Olympics moving. And obviously, I have to plan for that. However, my aim is to make this Games the most successful, but also for athletics, obviously, but also do it in a way that is the best way making sure we win medals in the right way. I want everyone to come away with an experience that they really enjoyed it, whether they've won or lost. Um, so we've done everything possible to help the athletes win a medal. That's what I'm plotting now. How can we get the athlete to the game to win medals or if they don't win medals, enjoy the experience and actually create an everlasting legacy that ensures that the athletes who've gone to the games are successful too afterwards, especially because it's on the road to Paris 24 and LA 28. Great to hear from Kelly Southerton, more from her later, including her view on why she was so successful and her thoughts on just how the Commonwealth Games can act as a springboard for the likes of herself, Jess Gennis-Hill and KJT, as we've seen in the past. Turning now to our other featured guest, Gavin Johnson-Assoon. He describes himself as an athlete, an author, a life coach, an artist. Is there anything he can't do? Now, at the age of 37, the England Javelin champion, I put to him that it's been quite a story so far. Yeah, it's just been uh, quite an interesting journey. We'll start from the beginning. I was born in New York and raised over in uh, London. Um, I was raised in a family of performing artists, so a lot of 80s R&B acts and things like that. They were quite big, like Soul to Soul and Loose Ends and things like that. They were in and around my family. Grew up in quite a creative household. Sports was always quite a big thing in my family as well. And I started off as a Chinese kickboxer because my one of my uncles is a six dan grandmaster. So he used to train me when I was in my early teens. And then I just moved on into conventional sports like rugby. I was really big into tennis and all the racket sports. I was in the team for pretty much everything going. And getting into kickboxing then at a young age, what did you get out of that? Yeah, I mean, um, fighting on both sides of my family was quite a big thing. Like, we used to watch the boxing when it was on Channel 3, the ITV fight nights, and lots of martial arts movies were always flying around. My uncles, my mum's brothers were 
fighters and uh, I think my dad's brother, one of them, he was into sort of weightlifting and all things like that. So I was inspired at a young age to get into these sorts of sports and just sort of went into it and I really enjoyed it. Did pretty well. I wish I stayed on for a bit longer in it and got the black belt, but I got to a stage because with this particular form, you have to be 16 to get a black belt. And I was 14 and I didn't want to spend two years just doing the same thing over and over. So I just sort of dropped out and did other things. 14, 16, 17, it's a big age where where people question their futures in sport. It's the same in athletics. So how long is it then before you start to take up throwing? I think it's much later in your mid-20s, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, officially, I mean, I did athletics, of course, sports captain throughout my academic career up until university, fortunate enough to go to school with quite a lot of very high-level athletes, um, like Chris Lambert, European champion, 200-meter runner, uh, Sean Wright-Phillips, Bradley Wright-Phillips, uh, Scott Parker. We had quite a lot of really high-profile footballers and athletes at the school. The standard just basically world-class, so you kind of felt... I wouldn't say shy, but I didn't really push for it as much because I just saw the, the gap between me and them. Um, it's only later when I went to university and I've, you know, I just decided to myself that uh, you know, I really wanted to give this a go. Went into the rugby team, did really well in that, but just didn't really have the passion for it. Continued with tennis, but again, I started that way too late to be any good at it. Um, and then in my last year, I set up an athletics club with one of my friends and I just basically threw myself into it and just fell in love. For a long time, I, I liked the discus, and uh, it was one day I had a bit of a wake-up call when I was up against Lawrence uh, McCoy for like a Surrey Championships, and that's when I realised that that event wasn't really for me because <laughs> all the guys were like six foot six, massive, standing throwing like ten meters over my best throw, and I just thought, okay, this is not <laughs> something that I can really excel at because I started off actually doing the decathlon, and I didn't do that very well for a few years. You know, I wasn't as focused as I was later on. Certain events were preventing me from doing other events well. So like the pole vault especially was jarring my elbow quite a bit. And then once I stopped that, my distances and the javelin went shooting up. Around about 2012, when my coach and I sat down and he was just basically saying to me that the decathlon is a pipe dream and you're not really going to get anywhere in this. So let's specialise in an event discus and javelin initially and then just dropped the discus after about a year and just sort of jumped up quite quickly in uh, 2015 I was my first year where I won the English championships and a bunch of other medals and then I've just been progressing ever since. Well last year you came to a very wet soaking wet Manchester and won the gold medal age 36. Tell me about that moment. I've always believed in my competitive edge of normally maybe seventh best in the terms of ranking but I always end up managing to get a podium finish. Um, so I just uh, seem to be pretty good at keeping my head cool at the championships. And at that particular championships, the weather was awful. It was uh, torrential rain, very, very difficult conditions. And a lot of the other guys were struggling, weren't adjusting their, their technique to accommodate for the wind and the rain. But then I decided to make the adjustments that I needed to do, shorten the run up, telling myself that I, you know, I've come here to win this medal. So yeah, it was, a, it was a good win. Following that, so it's now September 2019, season pretty much shut down, but not for you uh, at Lee Valley, where having knocked on the door for a couple of years, you managed your first throw over 70 metres. Take me back to that moment. Yeah, that was that was great. As he said, it was very, very close on a number of occasions. And in, during training, I've been hitting over that distance and I've just been taking on new techniques from a coach called Francis Gross who works with Nikki. I can't remember his surname, we just won the world championships for decathlon and his techniques were really good and really gelled well with me but it wasn't quite sticking because I still had the old stuff to, to work through and in moments of pressure you kind of fall back onto your to the things that you're used to doing but that day I just felt confident I knew it was my last one of the year and the weather was fantastic everything just clicked almost just let myself go and it just sort of something changed in my body the relaxation in the upper body that I was always looking for um, the legs were moving a lot better yeah and I managed to break break my PB finally the guy you were thinking of uh, Nicholas Cole who yes. threw an incredible javelin attempt at the world championships I think it was uh, 79 yeah meters very young guy as well do you ever think what if i had taken up javelin earlier 
what might I have achieved? Yeah, yeah, constantly. It's just always a it's always a thing where you think, um, if I'd just done this younger and I'm I'm a believer of everything happening at the right time, to be honest with you. And I don't think I would have been mature enough to handle what was happening. Things were different back then. I had different pressures, different things going on. I don't think I would have been mature enough to really do the things that I'm doing now and really understand. Because with the javelin, it's not just about the physicality of it. You have to have a feeling and understanding of how to do stuff. And I just don't think I was ready to take all that in. So now I feel great. I feel better than I did 10 years ago. I don't feel like the end is coming anytime soon. Um, it's just unfortunate about what's happening this year and the season because I was feeling very, very good. And I've already gone a couple of metres over my PB from half uh, approach. So I was feeling very, very confident about getting a really big distance this year. So hopefully we can squeeze a bit of the season in. You know, obviously it would have been nice to have a longer career, but I'm, I'm happy with what I've done and I'm happy at the stage that I'm, I'm at and I still feel like I've got a few more years in me. It's a very mature and refreshing way on which you reflected there. As someone who has a number of different life pursuits and, and hobbies, it's really hard to say, isn't it, when you're, when you're younger, I want to do this for 10 years and I want to do that. I remember there was an American sprinter, Xavier Carter. He said, I want to be a sprinter for a bit and then I want to be an American footballer. Mm. What, you're, what you're saying a moment ago just puts into perspective how you maybe can't quite plan a life and a sporting career as some people try to do. It all depends on your reasonings for doing the sport. Like for me, for example, during those early years when I went over into athletics more seriously, it was times weren't great for me personally. And it was a, it was an area of my life that I felt like I had control in. It gave me some power. It made me feel strong. And that sort of kept me going. Whether I go to the Olympics or whether I stay at this level, you know, obviously I want to do as well as I can, but it's not the end of the world. I'm happy with what I've done. I've, you know, I've had some degree of success, competed against some great guys from around the world and been able to travel around and made some great friends all over Europe. And that's something special. Potentially on the horizon, 2022 Birmingham Commonwealth Games. I'll add in the fact that traditionally some of the throwing events don't quite have the, the same standard as the mm. sprint events. Everything's possible because all it takes is one throw and it can basically change your career. Coming late into the javelin, I've had to learn a technique at an advanced age, which a lot of people have been doing from a young age. All my elements of my sort of athletic components are up there with a lot of the world-class athletes. So I don't see why if I get the technique down properly and conditions are well that I can't pop out a very big throw in the future. Gavin Johnson is soon. Who knows, maybe in two years' time, he could be at the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. Later, we'll hear more about his creative side. Talking about uh, 2022 leads us nicely to going back to Callie Southerton. She's won the Commonwealth. She's going to be a team leader. So effectively, she's achieved everything she can from a Team England perspective. So I wondered if she can remember where her England career began. I came second at English schools in 1991 in the pentathlon, Sheffield. Then I got an England vest that December at the schools international and I won that. First England vest outdoors, a senior, I think it was 2000 and it was in Waterford in a heptathlon. You know, there was a few years before I became successful. It was a couple of years before my first Commonwealth Games in Manchester, which I came seventh in the heptathlon. And then two years on from there, I won an Olympic medal. So... I know how important the Commonwealth Games is to people's pathways to success. We've seen that in the likes of Jess Ennis when she won her first senior outdoor medal in 2006 in Melbourne, with Neve Emerson winning a medal at the Gold Coast and then winning a medal the following indoors. So we know like winning medals at a Commonwealth Games at, some, at the beginning of the career is a really true indication of where athletes can go. So those memories and... England vests are really important to someone's career, especially in combined events, because we have so much success there. Touching a bit more on that uh, that trip to Waterford uh, for England that you mentioned, what sort of advice do you think you uh, can recall being given at that stage in your career that helped you stay motivated uh, and, and focused and, and kept you in the sport at that point? I think in those days, you never used to get that kind of advice. It was about having an experience, having a really good time. Even though you're serious, it was all about fun. My worst critique was myself. 
So I always knew what, what I did wasn't good enough for me. It just spurred me on. So I was injured in 2000, but still got the England vest. But I knew if I wasn't injured the following year, maybe I could improve. So it was just about what can I do differently? What can I do better? And even if it was a 1% difference, always had in my head, I can be better, I can be better, I can be better. So it's in the pursuit of perfection, which I don't think many people actually ever achieve in sport. It's very, 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 very rare if they do. And I'm happy generally with 8 out of 10. If I ever got a 9, which I don't think I ever did in my life, um, in my sporting career, I would have probably would have won maybe a few more medals, well, maybe upgraded to a gold somewhere, maybe in 08. But however, I just always looked at how I could improve in everything I did physically and mentally. And you strike me as someone who's always loved the sport as well. And you mentioned cricket there. I believe you're an Arsenal fan, a, a huge fan of, of sport generally. No question that will fuel your excitement for the Commonwealth Games as a spectacle beyond athletics. Sport usually brings us together, and it's a shame we don't have that right now, but you're a huge sports fan generally, aren't you? Yeah, I also sit on the board of British Weightlifting, and I've been to a few competitions. I absolutely love watching live weightlifting. Um, And having that experience through a Commonwealth Games or Olympics, when you go and then watch other sports. So I love winter sports, I love rugby, cricket, football, because I'm involved in those two sports now. You know, everyone has the same kind of mentality. You're always seeking to be the find the best version of yourself but yeah it's just a competitive element and I imagine I speak for a lot of sports people that even when they're not in a sporting context they'll find a competitive element to everything even if it's walking to the shop or beating someone at a checkout at a superstore (laughs) or just beating somebody off the lights or I mean that's probably illegal you just become you just become competitive at everything because that's what you naturally are and that's born that's innate that's in your genes so you know even now I've retired I'll be eight years soon I am still ultra competitive even with children even with older people even with the animals I own and I want to win <laughs> yeah I imagine a lot of sports people are, are very similar I hope well I just tried to get a car with good acceleration to begin with you know to do it legally that's how you do it legally I think well I think it's practicing how you can come off your clutch and your rate of acceleration how you can get that perfect and that you're on the biting point better I think it's probably a better way of putting it (laughs) so how how good can you get that biting point and how quickly can you kind of react to the light that when it goes green Knowing your technology as well as you can. Kelly, there's a point there about how in athletics we're always fighting to get as much attention as possible with other sports, particularly in the summer and how we can promote our sport better. As someone who, you know, is interested in, in weightlifting, it's interesting to reflect on how there are other major Olympic sports, let's say, that don't get uh, as much newspaper attention throughout the year. I wonder whether there's anything that can be learned from from other sports or to, to just appreciate how in athletics we get more coverage than swimming or weightlifting generally. I think a lot of is to do, obviously with weightlifting, every two years they'll get a really big um, feature on the TV, whether it's Commonwealth Games or Olympics, but only if there's a good English or British um, athlete in, the, in that event. I think swimming is really difficult too, just because of the sport. With athletics, you're, it's probably easier in terms of you see people's faces. In foot, we see people's faces in swimming. You don't, their heads are down, if you, if you know what I mean. It's, it's a great sport to watch. I think, however, when it comes to interaction with the swimmers, it's probably a lot more difficult and track and feel and I think the difficulty now is everyone's fighting for social media space as well and that's always going to go to the really world-class athletes so even if you're a good athlete and you're good in your country it's still hard to get that social media space and get that interaction it's how you do it and what you do and before it was all about what you said and so if you was a little bit controversial if you said something that was everybody wanted to hear that would only ever come out in a in a paper or radio or tv interview now now every person can have a voice regardless of what level of sport you are in whatever sport you are so you're fighting against absolutely everybody to get that small space and everyone to listen to you if you say the wrong thing or you're a bit controversial the potential is that everyone can have an opinion on that too where before it you didn't that, that opinion was only heard in someone else's home, not outwardly. So, obviously, traditionally, athletics 
swimming and cycling are probably the top Olympic sports and gymnastics. For athletics, the wide range of events, the sprint, the sprinting, the, the endurance, the jumping, the throwing, combined events. You know, there's 23, 24 different events in athletics that is so, so different and a wide range of people can take part and enjoy. And it's easier to take part and enjoy. Everyone can go for a run in a park. Everyone can do that, but not everyone can go and swim in a lake, if you know what I mean. So it probably appeals differently for, for different people. The same with football. Everyone can play football in the park and do that and put a couple of T-shirts down as goalposts, but not necessarily everyone can then do that in a pool. So it's just the sports of different access ability to do it. So um, and I'd, it's like football and athletics are probably the two top sports really to watch just purely because people can access it easier and do it easier. Well, some nice thoughts from Kelly Southerton there, mentioning that all sports people will find ways of being competitive or productive despite not being able to compete right now. Gavin Johnson Asun is someone who's finding freedom of expression from a creative point of view through his writing and artwork at the moment. Let's resume our chat with me asking him if javelin training has been at all possible during lockdown. Scott Lincoln, the British uh, shot put champion, is is throwing shot. Are you able to throw a javelin anywhere at this point? I mean, I'm living in uh, quite central London, so it's <laughs> virtually impossible. Those athletes that are fortunate to be up north or in those sort of spacious areas have got fields that are throwing javelins around, and that's great. To be honest with you, I haven't really been doing much training. I've just been focusing on writing a couple of books and trying to get that out there and starting a different part of my career going. I work in film sometimes, script editing and things like that. So I've got a few script projects ongoing. So I've just been focusing on other stuff so that when things open up again, I've got the money coming in and I'm able to get back to training. That's very understandable. Marilyn Okoro was saying in our last podcast just how now is such a great time to be creative. Yeah. I mean, on that note, tell me about how you got into to dabbling yeah. in art. Again, it's just something that I've always done. My aunties were artists. Um, my mum used to uh, do theatre set design. And I always enjoyed comic book art and drawing, things like that. And I just kept it up. It can get quite expensive because I recently started doing sculpting and went to Paris for a course. And it's just very relaxing and it's uh, another way of expressing yourself. I've been purposely sort of not looking at javelin stuff because I know it would just get me frustrated. So I'm kind of <laughs> making myself a bit ignorant to a lot of things that are going on just so that it just keeps, my, keeps me from uh, getting upset, not being able to do the thing that I love the most. A lot of people naturally suffering, you know, a bit of a loss of identity that addiction to winning that you mentioned, it's difficult to find something that can replace that in this period. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, it is difficult. Fortunately, as, as I said, I've, I mean, I've really started to love my writing and doing all the art stuff. So I've just really been focusing on that. And I've got a book coming out at the end of the month. Yeah, it just carried me through because I'm, you know, I feel confident a few weeks back on the, on the track and I'll be back to where I was. I'm not going to lose a decade's worth of training in a few weeks. <laughs> you know so I'm not panicking like uh, you know because I feel like a lot of athletes are just sort of it almost seems like they've hit panic buttons and they're training harder than I've ever seen them train <laughs> uh, but I just I'm just taking the time to just sort of slow down and making sure I get everything in place so that when things do go back to normal I can really excel. Uh, you mentioned sculpting I had a quick look at your Instagram I've seen that you had a go at sculpting your hand yes it seems like there's no limit to your creativity well, yeah, well, that's that's the sort of uh, nature of creativity. There is no bounds, there's no limit. If I didn't go into sports, I would definitely be more on the artist side of things and go into a lot of creative sort of areas. But I just, I've just got the attitude where I just see something I like. If it, if it becomes a passion of mine, I just say, why not? And just give it a go and find a way of making it work. I've got one life. Why not try to experience as much as you possibly can? Right. I'm going to spring something on you now. We had a little game with Marilyn Okoro because she's a soul and a jazz singer. Yeah. Sports people that share their names with singers. Here, I've got a couple of questions on sports people who also have dabbled in art. Okay. Uh, there's no pressure. <laughs> I think this, this is a time yeah. of no pressure. It really is. Um, okay. If ever there, there was one. So... I think you'll do pretty well at this. All right. Well, I apologise in advance if I, if I forget anyone's name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question number one. Okay. 
Former England cricket captain Michael Vaughan has an art company called Art Balling. Yeah. Where he paints pictures by doing what? Doing what? Paint pictures doing what? What, does he use uh, cricket equipment to use to paint his pictures, I guess? He does, yes. You're very warm there. Um, What, does he bowl the ball into the canvas or something or throw the ball somehow? (laughs) Yeah, um, it's an interesting expression. Yeah, but he hits balls at the canvas in order to create pictures. Okay, pretty strong canvas he's got there. (laughs) It's this very sort of automatic art sort of style where it's just like completely random. Right. Olympic discus champion Al Erta, the American, used to lay a puddle of paint down and fling a discus at it to create splashing lines. Mm. He was pivotal in the, in the setup of the Art of Olympians Museum. Yes. But how many times did he win Olympic gold, Al Erta? Oh, gosh. Can you give me a clue what years? Wolfgang Smith sort of era, or...? I'll tell you that he was born in New York, also in 1936. Okay, I'm going to say two-time Olympic champion. He's actually a four-time Olympic champion. Oh, wow, congratulations, well done. (laughs) That's amazing. And all in the discus as well. Next one, what do you like on on football knowledge? Um, Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Can you name the former England goalkeeper who in 2016 donated David James (laughs) yeah (laughs) I've started so I'll finish as they say in (laughs) a painting towards cancer research yeah nice one David James another who whose career extended until not that long ago goalkeepers they can play to to later ages yeah and again you know and for for throwers as well I mean you can go as long as you've got the passion for it and you're not too broken down from the years of training and whatever. I think a lot of ideas of what an athlete is and what they're capable of in terms of age is based on other events, not really being specific because with, say, shot put, discus, javelin, it relies a lot on the technique and your strength, unless you've been severely injured, sort of maintains well into your 40s. Like even Steve Backley and uh, Jan Jelesny, the top guys at their time, you know, they were throwing well over 88, 85 metres at the age of 40. Yeah, Zalesny in particular, hugely impressive. One wondered if he would ever retire. He had nothing else to prove. He had won everything that you could win. He's got the world record. Why continue and go through that grueling process in that respect? But he could definitely still turn up even now and probably beat half the throwers in the world. Right. Two more questions. You've done pretty well so far, I have to say. These aren't the easiest. (laughs) Which iconic Spanish painter depicted women running on the beach in 1922. Women running on the beach. Was it an abstract style? I would say so. It's either going to be Dali or Picasso. It's got to be one of those. Is it? Or am I completely wrong? Well, I think you might be heading in the right direction, yeah? No, I I don't know. I haven't got a clue. You're not going to plump for it 50-50? Okay, okay. Running on the beach. Let's go for Dali. It's Picasso, in fact. Ah, because I thought it was going to be too obvious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Last question. Former long jump world record holder Bob Beeman, what is his artistic pursuit? So Bob Beeman held the long jump world record for 23 years, I think, broken by Mark Powell in 1991. Yeah, Mark Powell. God, what would he be doing? Um, I think he would be a sculptor. So he is a graphic artist or graphic designer. Nice, okay. But what's interesting, Gavin, is that um, so many different people, including Flojo, Florence Griffith, Joyner, Kevin Young, so two world record holders there, they both have a piece of artwork that has been at the um, Art of the Olympians Museum in America. So you're not alone out there. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. It's, it's surprised me a lot. There's a lot of throwers, in fact, field athletes that are very, very artistic. And lots of musicians in my group as well, high jumpers and stuff that play drums, guitarists. Max Law is a great guitar player. He's another up-and-coming javelin thrower. So there's, there's lots of talent outside of the sport. Uh, Jasmine Sawyer with her singing and guitar playing. If you're looking at Scotty Lincoln, for example, I wasn't really aware of it, but a recent post showed his artwork and he's fantastic. It's nice for people to see that we're not just two-dimensional athletes that just throw, jump and run. We actually have 
mind and we can be creative and do stuff outside of the sport. Gavin, let's round off then by thinking about those people who aren't feeling particularly athletic, be it at this stage of life or their career, maybe haven't got a creative spark. Mm. What would your advice be to people who are trying to be productive in some way or trying to make use of this time? Well, the thing is, for me, you know, with, with coaching, it's language that you use is very important. So when you're saying trying to, you need to just do it. There's no trying. It's either you're doing it or you're not doing it. So you need to actually just take action. Get it into your mind what you want to do and make a clear plan of that. Visualize it. Do everything that you need to do to create an, enough of an emotional attachment to make you believe that you can do something. You can't be in a situation where you're comparing yourself to other people. That's their standard. You need to create your own. So just get out there, do it, see what happens. And only through experience will you know whether you like something or not. So you've got to just give it a go. When things start up again, there's no reason why you can't go to your local track and just pick up an event and just get going. Most coaches are, are open to helping whoever wants to try out an event. And the only barrier that you put up is the limiting beliefs that you put on yourself. Brilliant advice there from Gavin. Get out there and do it. Let's turn from an athlete perspective to a club point of view now. Stratford-upon-Avon is our featured club this month. That's where Chris Jones has been. And this recording was done before any coronavirus restrictions were in place. Fantastic sports club here on a Wednesday night, ready for the runners to turn up in their masses to go out on their weekly runs. I'm here with Stuart Paul, chair of the England Athletics West Midlands Regional Council, Stephanie Cameron, who's the club support manager for the region, myself, Chris Jones, Paul and Tony from the club committee. And uh, thank you for welcoming us here this evening. Give us a bit of a potted history of the club when it was founded. We started really, I suppose, in the running boom. 1979, it was founded primarily just as a road running club. It's developed a long way since then. A few years after that, we started a junior section. We've moved venues a couple of times. Now we've really got sort of two venues, the, the sports club here, where the majority of the adult endurance runners are based at, and we train from here once or twice a week. And we also have a, uh, a track at the Stratford School. We're training there four times a week at least. And in terms of challenges, you know, where does the club need to go next? Where are some of the challenges that you're facing? Well, I think probably the biggest challenge we have, and, and this is in no disrespect to all the fantastic volunteers that we have got, actually, we need more people to step up. You look at our committee, we've had the same committee for probably 10 years, mm -hmm. and everybody does a fantastic job, but you actually need people, encourage people through to take on more responsibility. In technical roles like coaching, officiating, marshalling, or is it more generic committee places? I think it's a bit of both, actually. Yeah. I mean, the majority of the coaches and probably the technical officials come through from the junior side, from their parents and, and people like that. So we, we don't do too badly for coaches in that area. Retaining them is a problem because a lot of them will come in, they'll coach for a few years while the, their kids are in the club and then they probably disappear. You obviously get some that will stay with the club. You always want more, obviously. Um, but the, the coaching side, I don't think is as bad. I think yeah. it's more the, the yeah, admin of the club admin. and organising races, etc., etc., that uh, we're shorter of. And for, uh, sorry, I was going to ask whether longevity of people on committee is that a standard issue? No. So certain, so certain clubs might have it written into their constitution that committee members can only stand a term of. A certain amount of years but that differs committee to committee club to club and some clubs you'll see a much higher turnover of their committee members because they might have three-year term for their job descriptions for your your big roles like chair secretary uh welfare officer and treasurer so the sort of the big guns mm -hmm. on the committee mm -hmm. but it's largely down to the choices that each club make based on the needs of their own of their own members and volunteers paul has been our chair for 20 years and he's done a fantastic job, and everybody realised that he's done a fantastic job, so nobody ever wants to stand against him. And I've been club secretary for 10 years, and I just yeah. think, oh, sometimes you want to get off it, and you do move on, actually take on another challenge, but actually you can't. I've got a written pact that I won't, I'll stay on as long as Paul will. <laughs> so that's why I've got to stay on, or else we need a, a new secretary as well. I think, uh, I guess the risk with that is, of course, if anything, happens family-wise yeah. or job-wise yeah. or anything where someone mm. needs to move move away uh, my father is groundsman at our cricket club in South Lincolnshire has been for 50 years forever every season the club committee says what will happen if Ian goes mm. and 
three or four years ago, they appointed a young lad who didn't play cricket. He came to watch the games, but was interested in gardening and machinery and done an apprenticeship. And essentially, he now shadows him with Mm. a view to taking over. That kind of shadowing, developing someone to take over, has worked well, albeit it should have been done 45 years ago, probably. Of course, yeah. I mean, I was club secretary at Mm. our cricket club up until about three or four years ago, but I did it for four years. And I said... I will start now and I'll do it here, but you must prepare someone. And they did have someone ready. But I, I realise it's totally challenging and a yeah. labour of love. But succession planning is a problem. Nobody's irreplaceable, obviously. But if Tony just walked away now, it'd be difficult to replace him. Mm. Nobody's irreplaceable. So no. Somebody would step forward and it would be run differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just yeah. the way it is. You have to adapt. And you yeah. might find have thing. a period of uh, yeah. uncertainty before you go again, and, so to speak. And yeah. I think there would be enough people within the club who would be massively supportive of anybody who put the name forward. Yeah. They'd all pull together to help them. Feedback we get from some clubs is they're toying with this kind of semi-professional approach to things now where they're saying as volunteers we can't do this anymore we might get a club administrator in who's part-time or we Mm. might start paying some junior coaches to keep them out of the shops and the factories at the weekends what are your views on that well we've been doing it for a few years to be honest on the junior side we've got a paid administrator i don't know how many weeks how many hours a week she does but you know we pay her to look after the membership database and other things like that that's worked well because we, you could not get a volunteer to spend the amount of time necessary to do it. We've always encouraged older juniors to put something back in by uh, coaching the younger ones. Where necessary, we'll give them something towards it, a small payment. They're not making a fortune out of it, but it's, it's something along those lines. It keeps them involved as well. And we've got a few who they've stopped competing themselves, but they still keep involved with the club on a coaching side or even a bit on the admin side as well. You know, some of them will go off to university, they'll come back and they'll still be involved. Mm-hmm. As chair of the West Midlands Regional Council and obviously been a member at Birchfield for many, many years, do some of the things that you're hearing here, do they resonate with you from a Birchfield perspective? Very much so, yes. We've, we've got committee members who've been there for many, many years. We have a two-year election process, but even so, the same people get back on because <laughs> nobody else wants to do the jobs. And things like the uh, the youngsters and the getting the volunteers in. We have an academy and there's an opportunity there for our younger athletes who want to become coaches. We can, we can pay them. We can afford to pay them a small amount to keep them going. Obviously, you're not too far away from Birmingham, Commonwealth Games, around the corner in 2022. Have you got any athletes pushing for a England selection? Well, the, the standout is Lewis Bing, shot putter. He's 18-year-old now. He's had an incredible couple of years. I would hope and expect him to keep progressing the way he is. And he must be a role model for other juniors further down the club who look at Lewis and say, that's obtainable, you that's, know. That's very true. Yeah, we've had previous ones as well. Andrew Posse, yeah. still a member of the club, still comes occasionally to, to see us all. And he's very much a role, role model to a lot of the younger ones. And we're taking a team to the Commonwealth Youth Games in 21 as well, Trinidad and Tobago. So there could be some youngsters that are hoping to to get selected for that. So tonight here at the club, training night, what kind of activities take place? What we tend to do on a Wednesday night is there's there's usually quite a lot of people here. We sort of gather outside, sort ourselves out into groups, depending on what distance and what pace people want to go. So there's always a number of different groups going out. We've we've actually just started a new Council of 5K programme. There was probably about 25 of them, I think, on Monday night. So hopefully they'll all be here and they'll be going off on there separately to everybody else and being looked after by two or three coaches. We also usually have what we call a chaperone group, basically for the sort of more, less quick runners who might not have anybody else to run with. So they've always got somebody who's going to be looking after them. And then we'll have different... Uh, Faster groups going off. Rob Minton, one of our coaches, uh, is organising a session tonight where there's, it's pretty much a fartlek session around town, mm. probably doing about seven, eight miles. And there's all sorts in between, really, as well. Parkrun has brought in a lot of new people mm. into, into running. And so the Couch to 5K is something that we just wouldn't have done. I mean, you mm. about to think back 30 years ago, yeah. to a, to nobody, would never have organised mm. Couch to 5K. Cave, and you, you know, mm. just wouldn't have happened. And now, actually, there's a route for people to actually come into a structured training mm. program, and to keep park run is a big success. After they get the park run, it's guiding them into the club yes. and keeping them progressing that way. So the difficult thing, which we're trying to do well, and we, we, we've done we've pretty well so far, yeah. is yeah. make sure that they stay integrated in the club and stay. 
progress on from there. You should have answered a question that I was asking by <laughs> someone who was asking about the relationship between Park Run mm-hmm. and England Athletics. And I said it's a win-win. Yeah. You know, Park Run succeeds, Absolutely. the club sport succeeds. Jeez. You get more people into the club sport, you have a broader participation base, and then in a late development sport, you never know, you've got people who can move up the pyramid however far they go. We've actually used Stratford as a model to, to get other clubs in contact to help their own development. So most recently, the guys up at Leamington CNAC, they've had a few different chairs over the years. So yeah. they're, they're newest. I put them, him in touch with, with you guys because the model here is, is so successful and the retention levels of athletes, particularly juniors in the under-17s group, are so good in comparison to other clubs, certainly in the area, that actually we use Stratford as a model to promote to other clubs. So it, it's really positive down here. Well, some interesting insight on succession planning and solutions there. More from Chris and Stratford in a bit. You're listening to the England Athletics podcast. In our last episode, we took a comprehensive look at the advice and support we're offering to help you during these times, all part of the Athletics and Running for Everyone at Home campaign. Now some of those projects like webinars, activity videos are up and running. Let's take a look at what's been going on, starting with weekly challenges set by middle distance runner, Jenny Meadows. Hi, I'm Jenny Meadows, world and European medalist over 800 meters. What we'd love you to do is as many people take part in this, whether it's young children, older athletes, parents, coaches, the more the merrier. Good luck. Hi, I'm Scott Grace, Youth and Schools Lead for England Athletics, and I'm speaking to you from my back garden. Uh, I wanted to give you a bit of advice on how to keep yourself and your kids active. England Athletics has developed a new section on the website, which is athletics and running for everyone at home. Lots of different things that we've put on there. For those four to 11 years, we've uh, shared lots of fun games that you can do with your kids through our phonetics program, lots of running, jumping, throwing activities. Those who are 11 years and above, we've also shared our Athletics 365 Athlete Handbooks. Uh, normally, they're an in-app purchase, but we've made them all free just to help people be active over the next couple of months. And for coaches, there's lots of stuff you can access through Athletics Hub, uh, and our Athletics 365 Excel resource has been made free for the next 12 months for all our coaches and leaders, just to help you uh, interact with your athletes and your groups try and think of creative ways to, to keep that training going. Lots of other coaches around the country are supporting us come up with things that you can do in the back garden. To help us with traffic lights, what do you think we're going to use? Cones. A red cone, what's that for? Stop. A yellow cone, what's that for? Get ready. And a green one? Go. Excellent. Hello everyone, I'm Paul Mosley and I work for both England Athletics and UK Athletics. Just wanted to let you know about some weekly activity challenges that we're going to be setting every Monday over the coming weeks. Challenges are going to cover a range of activities such as speed, endurance, jumping, throwing and physical preparation. Every week there's going to be five new challenges that you can take part in at home or in your garden. So I've got Lucas and Ellie who are going to help me. So the first challenge that we're going to do kids is um, it's called a, a front support. So do you need me to show you or do you want to have a go? No, fine. Let's have a try. You're going to lift one arm off the ground and the opposite leg off the ground. Oh wow, good work. We look forward to seeing you next time. You might have noticed that we've been offering a load of webinars and of Q&As with some real experts in the sport to give you tips and training ideas in this little period that running is perhaps a little bit restricted and maybe you're not able to go out for your normal training volumes or if you're uh, a track and field athlete you're not able to go and access the facilities you normally would. Do check them out, they're all going to be uploaded to Athletics Hub and we will be sharing them through the website. You've got stuff on drills, on training planning, Q&As with physiotherapists, with sprint coaches, with endurance coaches, with athletes, and there's some really rich content on there. So if you haven't already got involved, check out the schedule of Q&As that are coming up and go back and have a little look at the, some of the videos of the Q&As we've already had and webinars we've had. You'll really enjoy them, I'm absolutely sure, and do let us know if you've got suggestions for some that you want in future. Well, that last voice you heard was Tom Craggs talking about webinars. Do go and check out the England Athletics website for more stuff you can do at home. Turning now then to the second part of our feature from Stratford, 
Here's Chris Jones. So I'm here with Emily Adams here at Stratford AC. You're quite a busy person within the club. Tell me what you do. Um, I currently deal with all the membership um, inquiries and the new members, uh, putting them on the system and um, registering them with the EA. Do all the club kits, junior kit, and also help coach on a Thursday night the juniors. And how long have you been a member of the club? Ten years okay. this year, in September. And so you a member of another club before that time? I used or to be a member of Raw Sutton Coalfields oh, okay, when right, I yeah. was a junior myself. Yeah. Um, left there when I was 16 um, due to illness. Oh, so okay. I became Warwickshire County Champion um, at 16. And what event? The cross country. Now I'm back heavily involved and you must be very proud when you look at the number of people who turn up here on a Wednesday night and then obviously you've got the track and field side to the club yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean I don't think anybody appreciates how many members we've actually got. The people that turn up here on a Wednesday night, you, you can have anything between 40 and 80 here. At the track you've got anything again up to about 80 or 80, 100 people but 270 odd members of the, the Athletics Club in one way or another. Overall with children and with adults as well, membership about 600? Probably pushing 600, yeah. Gotcha. For people who obviously can't see us, which you can't, you're listening to a podcast, I'm actually stood at the bar at <laughs> Stratford Sports Club, of which you're one of seven sports, I think, yes, that we are, uses yeah. this facility. And uh, we were talking earlier about the crossover between cricket and possibly tennis and snooker, sports like athletics, because of course athletics is a foundation sport if you're good at athletics or running. You can then kind of use that as a springboard for other sports. Absolutely. Do you see some of that happening? Um, we do. We see a lot. Obviously, we have the um, the boxing club. They do a lot of running. Um, they're obviously not involved with us, but they do a lot of mm-hmm. running uh, around here, around the club. So we see that. And obviously, we are uh, park run involved as yeah, well, massively yeah. with the club. Heavily involved with lots of different areas. Couch so to 5K group, the new group. And then some of those have come all the way from couch to 5K to recently a half marathon. Superb, so, so great, great brilliant. success story. Obviously, a very special place, uh, vibrant social scene. I know you organise quite a few road races in the area yes. as well, which must generate revenue to put back into the club in different Absolutely, ways and yeah. charities locally and yeah, what have you. We support a lot of charities, a couple of our races, all, all the profits go to charity and not into the club. And Tony is due to be Mayor of Stratford this year, isn't he? Oh, yes, he is. Keeping busy? Absolutely. Absolutely. You must be very proud of that. Yeah, he's very good. Very good for the club. Very good uh, for Stratford as well. Superb. Yeah, a a lot of help goes from these guys that you don't actually see. Over and out from Chris in Stratford and over and out for this episode of the podcast. A reminder that feature was recorded before any kind of coronavirus restrictions. We'll have another similar club visit featured next month from Lincoln Wellington. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so by contacting England Athletics on social media or the website englandathletics.org. For now though, thanks for listening and goodbye.